And that's the only thing that you can do in the United States is either you can succumb to just the reliance of overseas manufacturing, or you can leverage technology and you can make it efficient here. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet, explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Smarter Destiny podcast, where this time we have my friend Tyler Merritt on the show. He is a badass in many, many ways. We're going to go into that. But he is the co-founder at Nine Line Apparel, an apparel company which is doubling into some other things as well. Very, very, very cool looking brand that's been around since 2012. This year they're going to do $40 million revenue, so they're a bang, a very, very comfortable, healthy, eight-figure uh, brand. But Tyler has some awesome background, some awesome history, being an air mission commander, uh, flying, you know, those uh, those stealthy black helicopters, carrying bearded men to do bad stuff to bad people, um, good stuff to bad people, I should say, as well as uh, training other people to do so. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's owned many companies, currently owns many companies across supplements, property, even Corona masks, or probably you're not allowed to advertise them as that, but you know, we, we, we know what's going on. Um, his company has been in the top, the Inc. Top 100 twice and has experienced 5,000% year on year growth. And if you check out their website at 99 Apparel, you will see why. So without further ado, let's bring Tyler to the stage. Tyler, how's it going? Great. Thanks for the uh, incredible introduction. Full of energy. So um, for those of you not watching on video, Tyler is currently in his office and through the window of his office, you can see their ginormous facility where 250 hardworking Americans are currently making stuff and shipping stuff, which is incredible. Whereabouts we know whereabouts in the world you are, but whereabouts in America are you, Tyler? In America, we are in southeast Georgia, in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, incredibly beautiful place, and I don't think we really shut down uh, since the beginning of the end of the world. So if you're tired of the lockdowns, come on down to Savannah. Yeah, it's pretty much open for business. Rockin', rockin', rockin'. Sweet. Okay, so what we like to do on this show is we like to go back to a point in your past, a point in history which serves as a great uh, starting off point for your story as an entrepreneur. So if you wouldn't mind taking us back to a point in your past that serves as a great, you know, fairy tale starting point for your story, if it was a movie, um, paint us a, a colourful word picture. Uh, well, I can think back to when I first had a job. I think I was 11 years old working for a family restaurant doing uh, you know, dishwasher, prep cook, busboy type stuff. Uh, you know, did a lot of things in the restaurant business, did a lot of stuff in the construction business, working for family. I realized I do not like working for family. Uh, found myself uh, you know, given an opportunity to go to West Point. Uh, got, got a um, you know, nomination. Uh, it was an incredible opportunity because at that point I had, you know, from my father, the advice of you could join the army or you could, you know, join the army because, uh, you know, college wasn't free like it's apparently now. And it, it, going to that school was an incredible honor and opportunity. So my brother joined the army prior to me. Uh, I was going to enlist like him. And he told me, hey, go the officership route. Um, it was right about the time that 9-11 occurred. Uh, so I, I was very fired up. 
to go uh, do bad things to bad people, as you say. <laughs> I don't know if that was uh, the right how I'd. How, I mean, please phrase it how you would phrase it. I was, I was trying to make it badass bad things, things to. Yeah, bad things to bad people for okay. sure. I'm right. a big advocate of that. Uh, you know, they deserve it. But, you know, I had to go learn how to do those things first. Um, you know, West Point's all about followership uh, in the military until you are ready to be a leader. Uh, you know, I learned a lot of those incredible lessons there, luckily, so I didn't have to relearn them in combat. You know, in, in my uh, my life, you know, I, I always had bosses. Yeah, I had my uh, family member bosses. I had your, you know, really good army bosses and those really bad ones, the ones that, you know, make, uh, that show the office look like reality, where you just feel like you're in crazy world, crazy town, because there's some really incredibly stupid humans uh that are lawyers doctors and army officers uh and there's incredibly smart intelligent charismatic leaders that you get to learn from the good and the bad uh, yeah and i probably would have stayed in the military i love flying you know flying was my favorite especially when i didn't have to pay for it uh and i got to do some incredible things overseas help out my friends on the ground uh, come home safely to their loved ones and, you know, to do bad things that people trying to do harm to our, our uh, brothers in arms, brothers and sisters in arms. I'm not in trouble anymore. Uh, we just, I didn't have any females in my unit, so I got just have it. Um, but, you know, I, I transitioned out of the military because I, I, I couldn't um, operate the same way I needed to uh, through years of kind of destroying my body. Uh, in my mind, because war is hell. Um, you know, while I was deployed doing all those things, yeah, I always liked having a second job. Even when I was at West Point, I had a second job. No one knew about it. You know, but on the opportunities I could go home, I would do construction, or I would go work at family restaurants. I had side hustles. You know, I'd, I'd save up money so I could buy my first house as soon as I, you know, went to flight school. Uh, so I had my roommates that were paying my mortgage. Yeah, I, I always look for those opportunities. I bought crappy cars and watched all my friends spend their money on silly things that depreciate. Um, and, I, and I always had that investment for focus, delayed gratification mindset. And I still do. Um, I think that's what you know, has allowed me to be successful. But when I was deployed, you know, seeing that I probably don't want to do this forever. Uh, it's going to destroy my body and my mind. So, you know, what are some things I could do outside of this? Um, and I, I dabbled in different ventures until I left the conventional military. You know, I was flying um, Apaches. i extremely apologetic. My, my dad is walking in the room because uh, that's kind of what he does. Uh, but he also works here. Um, and I <laughs> uh, doesn't care who's in the office or who I'm talking to on television. Um, but no, I, I, I left flying Apaches to go to the special operations community at the 160th. And when I got there, again, to go from an air mission commander, flying Apaches, flying tanks uh, for a year overseas in combat to the brand new guy, FNG, the fucking new guy. You know, my additional duty was to make unit morale shirts. Uh, and that's really how we got started. I started making shirts for my unit and then other tier one units, you know, Rangers, SF, um, some other you know, people, badass people. Uh, and, you know, the shirts that we were using to put their unit morale logos on, 
didn't really resonate with me, didn't resonate with our community. Um, so we set out to create our own brand, you know, that meant something uh, that, that uh, we could identify with. So the term nine line overseas is a, is a Kazadek call. If someone's injured on the battlefield, they call someone like me to come and pull them off. Uh, you know, whether we're under fire, uh, it doesn't matter. We're going to come in, we're going to pull you out, we're going to get you safety and hopefully get you patched up. Um, and, and here in the United States around that same time, we were saying that you know, nine line could represent a call to action, uh, a call to reinvigorate patriotism and to define patriotism uh, very specifically, which it, it's taking care of your fellow countrymen. And it, and it has nothing to do with race, color, creed. And it could be countrymen in England, countrymen in Australia, countrymen in, it doesn't matter, United States. Uh, but just do good things to other people for no other reason other than you have the opportunity to. So if you can help someone out who's homeless on the street and give them a sandwich, or if you can go donate a bunch of money to build shelters because you have that luxury, just try to do good things for other people. And that's really the premise. Uh, and to support those who are willing to lay down their life for our country. And that could be service members, that could be police officers, it could be first responders. You know, at this point, it could be, you know, your nursing community who's out there fighting in a, you know, invisible enemy uh, that's just wrecked havoc on our world. And so I can, I can see how that would be such a, um, it, it, that's a cause and a purpose and a mission that people can get behind. And so um, bringing that, I love the, the taking the, the military term nine line and then bringing that into the, the everyday life and, and making it um, relevant, even if one of you's not in a helicopter, um, but still tying back. I absolutely love that. And I can see why uh, people have resonated um, behind that. How good is this episode so far? Well, we're going to get right back into it after this quick recommendation. Let me ask you something. What percentage of your revenue comes from email? If it's less than 20%, then you may well be leaving money on the table. With my brand, newbrew.com, 20% of our revenue is driven by email. Why? Because I myself got out of the way and let the email experts handle it. You see, with previous brands, email was often an afterthought, right? I would rely on sales, email sales, 20% off today, 15% off today, and rarely spared the time to do it properly. You know, split testing subject lines, keeping the list hygiene high, nurturing our sending reputation, and figuring out the ways to engage our list and drive sales without doing sales or discounts or scarcity just by engaging them. So who are these experts? Well, in our case, they're a fantastic agency from Canada called And Bam, a fantastic name by the way. And they've literally helped hundreds of brand owners, many of whom have been on this very show, generate consistently high revenue from email. Right now, And Bam are offering free account audits to Smarter Destiny listeners. They'll go through your email account in detail and make personalized recommendations to boost your email sales. If you then want to take the leap and work with them, then I highly recommend you do so, but you don't need to. Head to smarterdestiny.com slash BAM and book a call. I highly recommend it. 
Okay, let's jump back into the interview. So this was in this was in 2012, is that right? Correct. So in 2020 in 2012 you were the the fucking new guy and um was it your business? Like did you found it or um like did you join as a new guy in someone else's business initially? So this was my uh brainchild. You know, there, there was my brother who moved to Savannah, Georgia when he left the military. He had my you know, wife at the time uh who was you know, out taking care of my kids but also you know helping to print and ship out shirts uh you know we'd spend our thanksgivings christmases on the floors our kids running around you know shipping out shirts probably why i'm single uh actually <laughs> definitely why i'm single but uh you know becoming a workaholic and, and focusing too much on your business has sometimes detrimental effects on uh family life um you know that that's kind of one of those life lessons that uh i've learned but you know that, that's really what it takes if you want to be really good at something you know business uh sometimes things get sacrificed for me with my you know body i, I stopped really working out i stopped eating multiple meals a day i you know wake up work throughout the day and maybe eat one thing i think yesterday i had a couple of nachos uh, and if you want to hit those metrics, you set goals and, um, you, you don't accept defeat, uh, stay up longer, work harder. So, so I really like that. And, and I mean, you know, th those sacrifices you've made for, for the thing that you believe in and the thing that you're, you're going after, um, is, is truly admirable as well. Um, in the introduction, we talked about being in the Inc. Top 100 twice and, um, experiencing 5,000% year on year growth. Now, um, you know, I, I have a background in, in uh, uh, apparel, like uh, custom apparel, going from, from the sort of Teespring model and, and selling, <laughs> giving them loads of business. I mean, literally Walker Williams has sent champagne to our hotel room when we've been um, on a mastermind and so on, um, through to then doing it, uh, you know, in my own businesses with, 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 other, with other printed apparel, right? And I know a lot of the, the listeners uh, have gone through similar sort of journeys and then branched out into, into other things. But I know a lot of those people as well. I mean, we've got a handful of really, really amazing um, founders that sort of learned their trade in those days and then have gone on and built like like really amazing apparel businesses. But probably 90% of them no longer exist. They, they for whatever reason, um, don't exist. And I suspect maybe the fact that Nine Line Apparel stands for something is important in your mission. But I'm, I'm keen to uh, to learn from you. Uh, what is it about Nine Line? Do you think that that enabled you to get that 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 massive growth, particularly when when other apparel brands out there, you know, are, are dying or were dying perhaps in that same stage? Well, there's a few things, you know, and I'm not going to be overly braggadocious of you know me when I talk about you know Nine Line. It's it's the team, right? Uh, so we built an incredible team and we have an incredible infrastructure. And we really did focus on the customer journey. We focused on customer satisfaction. And at the end of the day, you know, if I did zero distributions and I just put more money into the, into the business, meaning I bought, you know, that next better piece of equipment, you know, that next better uh, building. Right now, we, you know, we sit in a, in a custom built that we own 60,000 square foot manufacturing facility 
but that's not really the cool aspect of nine line you know the 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 most interesting part is when people walk around through here, they realize that this is not an apparel company. You know, we, we happen to be, uh, really, I, I say we're a, a marketing company that happens to do incredible manufacturing uh, and, and we've got a brand that resonates. So all of those things come to play. So I really did focus on vertical integration, you know, where I can control the customer service and the manufacturing and you know, just-in-time manufacturing is a word that's thrown out there but when you have hundreds of thousands of raw SKUs and millions of virtual SKUs if you're in this game you know having excess and waste and toxic inventory is what killed most brands that they don't know how to forecast so you know when i went from excel files to like this is ridiculous even i'm very good at excel uh, to uh, some third-party software that has extreme limitations is meant for small businesses. You know, I, I use, I'm not going to disparage you know, a company by name, but you know, I use a few of them. Um, and then it really couldn't scale. So you know, we focused years ago on ERP and enterprise resource planning. Uh, it's called SAP is ours. If there's you know, Microsoft Dynamics and all these other you know, big ERP systems. And these are systems that are used by and large for companies that are eight, nine figures. We did it when we were you know, six, almost seven figures. And so we started that journey. We realized that the technical infrastructure, building out our own you know, HANA servers here on prep, connecting all of the data and making sure that the, the, the physical and the digital touch points are as efficient and effective as possible so that I'm not scaling irresponsibly is what I would call it. I will turn off marketing and I will tell customers, order today, get it in eight weeks. As long as everyone thing is transparent. If I slow down my sales, so be it. But as long as everyone's happy, because you know, I'm not in it for that first time sale. I'm in it for the repeat business. I'm in it for the word of mouth. And if you are focused on short-term initiatives and goals, uh, and you're not constantly reinvesting everything, you know, then then I'd say that uh, you're living in this kind of fantasy land, uh, you know, I, I say when we're deployed, you know, every three second, I would train and plan because I would get a last minute mission where it's, hey, we've got to take these guys from Delta Force in the middle of the day to stop some vehicles going down a road full of bad guys. And, you know, I don't have time to plan for it right now if we have to go, but I'm really glad that I've trained this mission a bunch of times. So I can now go. And guess what? All that training, all that planning, as soon as I get on station and all of a sudden I lose my air support and all of a sudden I lose, you know, my ISR, which is surveillance. And I lose, you know, every other asset that I really need that I should have to do this very complex, very dangerous mission. And I essentially have to take that risk. What's the risk versus the reward? The reward is I take out a really bad person. The risk is we all die. And is it worth it? And at, you know, at that point, it was. We went and took out a really bad person, uh, physically removed him from me because it actually fell for this one. Uh, to clarify, but uh, it's the same thing in uh, civilian world, you know, except it's livelihoods. So I'm not going to risk everyone's livelihoods, all the other employees, unless I truly believe it's worth it, right? And uh, when we do research and development, which I do a lot of R&D. 
uh, it, it's I've got this idea, a marketing initiative, and we do all of our marketing in-house. Uh, you know, here's how I think we can, you know, take a dollar return five to ten. And if I can't see that metric, you know, the, the key performance indicator, KPI, uh, and, and I can't do a look back and have some uh, attributions and associations for that was successful. That event, that uh, you know, the, you know, the show that we went to, that digital advertisement that we did, the billboard we have up on you know I ninety five to drive our, our coffee. You know, we, we have a partnership with Black Rifle Coffee, so I've got you know their first franchise here. If I can't show return on investment for building out a, a, a new retail location or uh, a sponsorship of a, of a NASCAR car, we don't do it. It's it's not about what I say a dick measuring contest. Because I see a lot of my competitors buying box suites and you know Ferraris and Maseratis and like they're living the dream, but they're living the fantasy world. And to your point, you know, fast forward, you know, the guys who used to talk down to me and tell me, you know, I'm their little peon competitor. They're no longer employed, mm. and they became complacent. And overseas, complacency will kill you. Yeah. And in the civilian world, thinking that you're the best in complacency will bankrupt you. Kill your business, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're very close to bankruptcy. It's a very motivating thing when your businesses are shut down by an uh, invisible enemy. Uh, and you're like, well, I plan for everything. Literally forecast. And I have every department as you know, top line, bottom line, budgetary. You know, we, we do that in the beginning of the year. We do monthly reviews. But when you're like, hey, April on online and re or sorry, retail and uh, wholesale sales should be, you know, in the millions. And I did four thousand uh, dollars, but I kept all my employees, mm. which are a lot of money. And you're just watching your bank account go to. Yeah, it's it's a thing. Uh, and then when banks are telling you like, hey, I gave you a line of credit for a million dollars, what you spend it on? Oh, I did research and development to create an N95 variant mask for the government. They're like, because you know, you talk about not having bosses. That's true to a point. Uh, unless you're married or you have a uh, very large loan. Yeah, or, or indeed yeah. customers, right? Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> at, at, at some point, yeah, yeah, everyone's everyone's got a boss. So you you referred to your your premises. Um, you know, if someone was walking through it, they would see that actually it's a, it's a marketing company that happens to sell apparel. So and and you and you've referenced you know wanting to turn every dollar into into five or ten and and needing to see where that route went. So we're in twenty twenty one now. You're obviously um, a a high revenue company selling selling you know tons and tons. I mean, I, you must you must go out a lot and see just your clothes or your your accessories or whatever just in use in public and just be like, yeah, <laughs> like that. You know, you just want to be like, by the way, I made that. Um, I was just in Disney with my kids and my kids are pointing out. Like that is really cool. Uh, I mean that you know that that is so cool. Um, but in 2021, right, like it's much harder now than it was in 2012, right? There was there was a time where you could literally, uh, you know, f Facebook was very, very easy um, as, a, as an advertising platform. I mean, where you could really just put something, you could put 
quite a lot of shit out there, frankly, and still um, a combination of the the low cost, the, the the low competition, and so on. You could get like really really great results really really easily, and a lot of people, you know, um, you know, had a lot of success with that. And then um, it got a little bit more challenging. My question is: in 2021, what does your uh, marketing mix look like? You, you said you want the attribution and to be and to know where every dollar spent um, is, where that returns coming from. Where are you spending your marketing dollars and putting your focus right now this year um, for um, for you know to drive sales? So it's a really complex question. I, I don't need to screw around it, but you know there there are things that are not attributable. You know, in terms of the direct data, you have a halo effect, and then some of those things you you can't define. So I've got a relationship with, or my company does, with the um, the Undertaker uh, from WWE. He was just on the Joe Rogan podcast and he's wearing nine line stuff. He's talking about us, you know, and I don't see necessarily a direct correlation, but I, you know, people tell me about it. I see it on social media. I know that there's likely sales that are associated, but unless he's saying use this coupon code or, you know, I had YouTube codes embedded. Which would kill it for a lot of people as well, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and same thing, if I have Sean Hannity, who's talking about our stuff just because he likes our products, you know, I'll see some attribution. You know, but when you can maintain all your variables constant and you have, you know, a, a true A-B test uh, or you have one specific advance, we earmark them. So if I'm able to go on national television and talk about the importance of U.S. manufacturing and, and our brand during, say, prior to Black Friday, Cyber Monday, I'll sell millions of dollars of product. You know, that's something I'm always pitching to the, the major networks is, can I go on television and talk about my company? It's, you know, number one favorite thing to do. Uh, besides that, it builds relationships and partnerships. And, you know, when I'm able to work with some country music artists and go up on stage in between their acts and tell 30,000 fans, you know, who my, who I am and who my company, uh, what I represent for my company, um, it, it gets people excited. And especially when I can gather all their emails uh, mm-hmm. from that one country music event. Uh, so th- those are some things outside of social that, you know, again, don't have direct attribution. Social, People did com- complacent, and our company in the onset was very focused on just Facebook. Daily spend and return was incredibly high, with very low barriers, not much competition. Big companies still didn't know what the hell they were doing. Uh, so, you know, you could do a lot of great things. Our our marketing uh, investment strategies have been, you know, focused on the digital, which is search and social. And within search, predominantly Google, this is predominantly the most used search engine, you know, but some in Bing and some in you know, these other ones. Uh, there's some third-party apps that we use that uh, inject into, uh, you know, they utilize remarketing, which is going to be interesting in the coming months, mm. iOS 13 rollout. Yep. Uh, and then within Facebook, we have a rep because we spend a lot of money and we stay ahead of the curve with them. Uh, and we stay very, I mean, prior to talking to you, I was researching different methodologies for using machine learning and AI for uh, attributions of marketing effectiveness post iOS 14 rollout. And if anyone who's listening to that uh, is in the digital marketing realm, it's like what some people say is like the apocalypse of DPA ads and how are they going to do things? You just got to adapt and overcome. There weren't DPA ads and, you know, that were really super effective. When we first started, it became a thing for you know remarketing, a card abandonment type series, 
and you'll just adjust. Well, the smart companies will adjust. Yeah. The bad yeah. companies will rely on a PR agency or a marketing company to tell them what to do. And really what they want to do is spend their money because they get a percentage of it. You know, it's such a misalignment of yeah. goals. Uh, it, it, we have a marketing company. I only partner with select companies that I already do their apparel for. Because um, I don't just do my apparel. I do 3PL for other people. You know, I've got a machine, a marketing machine, and I've got a manufacturing machine where my efficiencies are higher than anything out there. Uh, and that's the only thing that you can do in the United States is either you can succumb to just the reliance of overseas manufacturing or you can leverage technology and you can make it efficient here. And I proved that with making a N95 variant because I can't call it N95, it's an FDA designation that is a very interesting organization to try to get approval from. So I have an EUA, emergency use authorization. Uh, you know, but that that's where we were able to take, I'd say, the uh, spare parts of my garage to build a freaking spaceship and do it in a record time with crazy engineers. You know, I work with aerospace engineers that do parts for NASA and Gulfstream. I work with the CEO of Haynes and the CEO of Gerber for cutting and other manufacturing. We made this awesome thing within days of the pandemic. You know, California shut down, my manufacturing partner shut down. Uh, and we came together and said, hey, you guys cut these cloth masks, I'll distribute them. I was doing 700,000 cloth masks in one week because wow. that's how fast we can pivot. And my guys, you know, a lot of them ex-military, like, hey, you guys can go home and go to sleep. I'll be here. Uh, because if we do that every day, we might not have nothing to come back to. So I, I don't think I slept for two months. And I worked with the DOD and I worked with the State Department. I worked with government officials to create PPE here. Uh, and then everyone... Stop giving a fuck about made in the U.S. and it's back to making it in China. Pardon my friends, uh, but you know we, we have this incredible foreign dependence and and no incentivization to create uh, manufacturing gear. So we just have to you know show the value. Yeah, demonstrate demonstrate by doing. And I I love that you're using um, technology as well to to get back that edge and get back those efficiencies. And I had a similar discussion actually with um, Michael Martoshi, who's the the founder of SwagUp. Com the, where they they do I think about fifty million a year um, provide you know and it's in the in the apparel apparel space and um, you know producing swag for companies typically with logos or, or new recruits or customers or so on and um, and he was talking about uh, much the same thing right so um, using using AI and machine learning to to find those efficiencies leveraging technology to to make it make it simpler remove human error as much as possible and things like that um, to 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 regain that edge over the competitors which particularly in the print space and i remember this from my cold calling when i needed a print partner um for for our leggings business and we ended up um, partnering with incredible.com who who are incredible and helped us grow when we literally were an idea at that point um it's it's, it's that technology but um what i realized when i made those calls going back to that was that a lot of like printers and a lot of those kind of people are like good old boys yeah you know they, they've i've done this for 30 years you know kind of i don't change you know like that kind of thing you, you imagine they still use a typewriter and go to the library for their books right and and yeah that ad that adaptation or lack of is is you know is going to be difficult um amazon has converted massively right to i mean not converted i mean that's just built into their dna the the leveraging machine learning leveraging computers to to unlock the data and the efficiencies 
um, throughout their operations. It's so important. And so I love that you've, you're baking that in and, and bringing back the manufacturing um, in-house, as it were, back into the country um, through those efficiencies, as demonstrated by how quickly you could have, you, you, you produced PPE, then 95 being a, a type of mask for those that aren't uh, aware, or oh, sorry, uh, N95 style. I remember you can't, you can't call it an N95, right? Um, so quick. It's a protective uh, filtering face piece that I have to put a big disclaimer that says this product is not approved by the FDA and it may kill you, but please buy it. And at you know, one point I was doing, you know, a couple hundreds of thousands of dollars of them. Uh, and then, you know, China just started ramping up production and government contracts went overseas and you realize that um, you know, politics and money and you know, when you get into billion dollar contracts, uh, science be damned. No <laughs> It's uh, it's politics enough. Yeah, uh, but but you can just say, hey, I'll never break in, or you say, well, you know what? I'm going to start small. I'm going to start taking over small government contracts now, and that's another avenue I'm going into. Nice. So you're going to run into new business models and new opportunities, and you're going to have to say no to a lot of ones that they seem like they could make a lot of money, but someone just wants you to do all the work and you run out of time. Yeah. So. So. So going back to Nine Line um, Apparel for a second, what right and before we pivot into the rapid fire question round, what are you really excited about right now um, in uh, within this business? Like, what what is it that's that's really you know getting those nipples erect right now within the business? Uh, well, my nipples are very erect with our uh, <laughs> it's all the trans- time. <laughs> transition to creating our, our retail spaces around the country. Nice. So I've got four retail stores. Um, you know, and in combination of coffee shop with Black Rifle and, and uh, retail stores, you know, they, I, I'd say that old has become new again. Mm. You know, things like mailers, things like uh, in-store purchasing and marketing, you know, where everyone got away from shopping stores because online was convenient. Now everyone's cooped up at home. You know, they miss concerts. They miss shopping outside. Uh, and, and I think we'll return to that slowly but surely in the next couple of years. And being able to break into the retail space when lease rates are very low, you know, there's a lot of opportunities while you know other people are being safe and they're you know closing doors and they're just going to you know, give up. I'm going to take over those leases and say, let me just go put product in there and see how it sells and uh, and and see if I can replicate what I've done here with my first retail store, which is wildly successful and profitable, you know, can I do it elsewhere? And then can I create a model? And then I've got enough people, you know, people reach out to me every day. Hey, can I have a, can I start a franchise? Can I be part of, you know, the nine line growth? And I, and I actually looking in and I've got one, you know, partnership going right now with an individual and, and uh, they're, they're killing it. And it's, it's a replicable model um, that we really weren't looking into. Uh, until we tested it and you know, the, the total cost per square foot versus the you know, revenue per square foot is really what it boils down to. And it's something I, I think I can scale and replicate. And then there's other opportunities there. You know, that's when I can get into my shipping costs in certain zones. I sell a lot to California and I'm in Savannah, Georgia. If I have a store in California that I can use as also a distribution center, since all of my you know, POS systems and online are all synced together seamlessly. And now we've built out, you know, 
uh, data integrations to SAP so I can start doing forecasting and, and, and logic for the different retail stores and moving inventory around. I could also turn it into a distribution center. And, and those are things that other people do, like um, Victoria's Secret does it very well. Mm. But they've invested a lot of time and money into that technology and that infrastructure. And so have I. And, and eventually I'll get to zone skipping uh, in, in uh, shipping costs if anyone is listening you know they know that's a thing you know I, i'm recently invested in a company called hoist which is a beverage company does dod contracts for hydration it i i personally say things like it's like pedialyte but taste doesn't taste like shit <laughs> in the private setting not publicly <laughs> uh jokingly if anyone can yeah like just that. as well this is a private one-on-one podcast no it's never like a marketing claim yeah. Uh, it's more like, hey, if you're into hydration and you've tested things in the past, they don't taste good. This is a good product, right? It doesn't have the best process. I'm using Marcus Lemona's terms, uh, but it's got great people, right? So I can help with process. So I, I'm on their board and I'm helping processes and we're working on taking the mill spec formula and selling it to the civilian market and getting distribution for um, liquids, which are very heavy. You know, making sure that you have it forecast in the proper zones for distribution support. Because as you're shipping liquids, you know, all of your profits going up to it. Yeah. And, and anyone who's in logistics, uh, you know, understands how important that is. And, and there's a lot of cost savings that I see from my stores and using those distribution centers down the road. I'm talking four or five years when I have 50 of them. Um, and, you know, there, there's other initiatives from those stores that I'm not really going to go into detail, but it kind of goes into more of my uh, keys to success. So successful, Um, but it goes into advertising, goes into, you know, local relationships that have been cultivated and and, uh, there's a formula. Hmm. Uh, It's not exact science, but there's guidelines and there's markers and key indicators that you look for when determining a, a, a new store location, just like marketing initiatives. Uh, if I have a marketing campaign, you know, it starts with that landing page. You know, where do I want people to go? Because eventually I want them to click the buy button. Uh, so what does that page look like? And then all the way back to prospecting that customer. How am I going to get that customer to be excited about something they're looking at, to click on it, to land here? Mm. And, you know, the, the, the multi-steps and understanding multi-touch you know, attribution that it's not so simple as I do advertisement, they click button, they go here, they buy. No. You and I both know they see something, they click on it. Now they get remarketed. They click on it. They enter their email. They forget about it. They get an email promotion. They click on that. They're about to buy cart abandonment. They, you know, leave. And then I get a, you know, DPA ad that's created from a third party system from the web browser. They're in the Yahoo, uh, Critio, for example. And then, they click on that one. And everyone claims attribution. Facebook, yeah, Google, yeah. video, yeah. Uh, email, right? So it's, it's going to change as user privacy changes. But overall, your return on investment, right? If I'm adding more digital ad spend and that overall conversions based on, say, those landing pages that are set up, you know, it increases. Then I'll I'll double down on those and I'll reduce efforts on these. I love that. Uh, and that's and that and that's dynamic there. Before we go into the the question round, you dropped something um, where you said that um, some of the old methods are coming back, and you mentioned mail outs. 
Um, do you do mail outs? And if so, could you give us some insight into what mail outs in um, 2021 uh, look like for success? I mean, maybe the, the, the data buys on the front end or the, or, you know, or the region targeting or, or something in there, maybe the technology um, that, that, that you're seeing and, and having success with. So many things, again, go into the kind of uh, ways and means, as we call it, the military. So it's like my methods that we do that I try not to share outside of partnerships. But for you, my best friend. Thank you. Uh, in, in general, you know, if someone opts to leave getting notified, you respect that. But every once in a while, you might want to send them a handwritten note that says, here's a apology for whatever reason, right? Because we might do surveys to find out why people no longer like us. And it might be our fault. I was extremely late on the shipment, extremely apologetic. You know, millions of customers sometimes like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, things get messed up. We're not perfect. Hmm. But, you know, please give us a second chance. We've gotten so much better, right? Or they, we, maybe it's just they, for whatever reason, forgot about uh that's a good way to get back into good gracious with some good really aggressive uh discounts um there's a workflows that can be enabled to kind of automate those things there's systems i use just everything's internal so you know i'll, I'll generate mailers and we'll put them into our packages we'll do co-branded stuff we'll do a lot of things with postcard tech printing um because if you're doing it all in-house you got a system down you know, once you buy the equipment, it's, it's 0.005 cents. And then shipping is, you know, I ship a lot with USPS. My rates are also very, very low. Uh, it's a way to get out new product announcements. And now that everyone is very familiar with QR codes, you can have uh, a lot better tracking capabilities. So... Mm-hmm. There's definitely ways to do it. Uh, our company that we created is called Mission Focus Media. And we, again, just kind of focus on a very select group of partners that we want them to be even more successful. They'll pay for our services. It'll get the better marketing effectiveness. But then also, since I'm doing their merchandising, it's co-branded merchandising, mm. you know, I would uh, be selling more too. So it's a win-win-win for everyone. Uh, and when I say co-branded, you know, my, my hats are blank and they've got nine line all over it, you know, and, the, and then uh, we have a partnership with a supplement company called Redcon. So I'm Redcon here, or I've got a co-branded partnership with SIG uh, and Glock and FN. They'll work with other companies too, mm. but they'll also, you know, hey, I'm going to sell a nine line hat with my logo. They want to have that association um, instead of Nike, Under Armour, Never. Yeah. Uh, they want a nine line blank with their logos on it or my logo on one section, their logo on another. Hmm. Uh, and it, you know, means something to their audience. Absolutely. I love that. All right. So um, where can people find out more about you and Nine Line? Mm, unfortunately, I am Googleable, So you can Google me. Uh, I've been able and been fortunate to be asked on television quite a bit for the last few years. The last year or so, I've been super focused on mask and not leaving here. And uh, to be completely honest, I hate going on television. It's like my least favorite thing to do. But it's one of those necessary evils. Just I'm not saying a podcast, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it, 
it's getting your story out there. And I'm a really good spokesperson for the company. Uh, so yes, if you Google, you'll see some of my previous interviews, uh, my LinkedIn, um, which I really don't check, uh, but my assistant does. And if you Google search Nine Line Apparel, you'll see the about us and everything uh, uh, about our services. Um, you know, and, and custom apparel is very important to us. I, I like collabs. I like co-branding. If I could work with nonprofits, for-profits, educational, everyone has an apparel need. Uh, if you want to buy it from Nike, go support Communist China. I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but you know they institute slave labor. Their their draconian practices are fascism, you know, by pure definition. And yeah, I would equate them to a modern day Nazi party, and that's very aggressive language, but that's essentially the way that they treat their humans. If we're so woke. And we are demanding $15 minimum wage and you know, right treatments. I take a look at the facilities, take a look at the treatment of humans in that country. Any of those things even mentioned here would be outrage. Uh, you know, working for pennies an hour, uh, not being allowed to do anything but this job, not allowed to travel outside your country, not allowed to speak or say anything negative about the six percent that rule your country uh so when we say nike is this benevolent company you know, that, that that does so many great things they buy a shirt for a nickel and they sell it for you know 20 bucks and uh then you know have their sponsors go around and condemn uh the united states for not being you know aware of social injustice like, are you freaking kidding me you know put your money where your mouth is. If you're producing stuff in a slave labor camp, you're supporting that institution. Put your dollars where your values are. And I, I think you know that is the differentiator. Um, that's the part that sometimes causes controversy. Is you know, people are very like, hey, you know, Nike and all these other companies that that are very tied in to communist China. You know, that, that is a huge revenue driver for them if you look at like the majority of products that they sell in that country to that you know uh government uh, you know they're beholden to them if their manufacturing goes down there even though they're a massive company and they'll be able to pivot to some other third world country to institute slave labor practices um you know that that is their business model from my perspective as an individual consumer which is why you know i will purchase things that are you know, socially correct. If I could buy from a South American country that I know has a you know livable wage for that country that is you know, treating their people correctly, we're a global economy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that's there's nothing wrong with that. And honestly, if to produce USA made product during a global pandemic, I'm running supply issues. I run out of USA made products, and I have to work with our manufacturers to say, all right, cool, I still have a demand. What do you have from South America? I still have a demand. What do you have from a responsible manufacturer in Southeast Asia? 
Well, but I like that. And and what you're talking about is something that we describe as Smart Destiny as, as being an enlightened entrepreneur, right? So we, we talk about the responsibility of entrepreneurs to build, yeah, a successful business, absolutely. But a business that by its very existence makes the world a better place, not a worse place, like a cigarette company, um, for example, right? Like, you know, the more successful we are, the more lung cancer, you're welcome. You know, we, we want to build businesses where actually through the success of the business, actually the world is slightly better. And that's why... Um, for example, at Newbrew, my brand, we fortify the meals of at least one child, one malnourished child for at least a year with every single purchase, recognizing that, that, that these children, you know, they're fighting just to, to have basic nutrition down. They definitely can't afford our products, right? So, um, you know, we recognize that as a result of being here, the world is improved by that whilst, you know, being like eco-conscious and, and um, you know, plastic free as well on, to, on top of that. But the, the, our goal and our mission is to fortify to five, 1 billion meals by 2025 um, and so um, I love that you're actually going to those extra efforts to to look into your suppliers and going right you know if you're if if actually you're trading ethically then that's great I'll give you money I mean you know if it's if it's minimum wage but that that's an acceptable wage in your country then that's absolutely great and by the way one of the ways one of the best calculators I find when when, when I'm like asking my staff like what are you paid like would it I like to go back to beer right so beer I find is a universal currency right your 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 staff that you pay a wage how many beers can they pay buy with their what you pay them in a day in their local pub in the same country ask that question in your city, it's, it's one beer is 15 bucks <laughs> okay yeah exactly so you know you but it gives you an idea of the cost of living versus what you're paying right and and what i find is typically it goes anywhere from sort of eight eight or ten beers from what they get on their daily daily rate sort of upwards and but if you're looking at like it's lower than that then probably um something's not being paid enough but to answer the question if people want to find you they can google you and then um and they can find you and they can find uh, 99 apparel Cool. All right. And so at this point in the show, we like to mix it up. We go into the rapid fire question round. I ask the questions quickly. You can answer quickly or you can do what you want. It is your round. Are you up for that? Yep. Let's go. Are you two thumbs up for that? There they are. All right. Question number one. If you ever had to start again, how would you make your money? Hmm, probably as a stripper. I feel like I have some, uh, some hidden talents and assets that I can really put to work. Uh, I probably wouldn't make a livable wage <laughs> at all, for sure. Uh, no, it, it, it's really to do something that I enjoy. I really enjoy uh, aviation. I really enjoy uh, virtual reality, augmented reality. I did it in the military. I did it for West Point. It's a it's a passion of mine. It's very complex, uh, and you know, there's. Uh, I think we're just scratching at the surface mm -hmm. of what the applications and the implications of, of using. Uh, enhanced uh, augmented reality and virtual reality. Um, so I, I would probably do something in that space. Uh, yeah, I, I might still do something in that space. There's some things that I'm working on with packaging that incorporate it uh, in, into our coffee products. Um, you know, where I, I, augmented reality would tell the story of you know, the, the reason of this bag or a Medal of Honor story. We're, we're, we're kind of brainstorming those things, but that's an interactive side. Um, but it really just, it interests me, the, 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 um, the potential for that technology. Beautiful. What's the most common or biggest mistake leaders make? Not being present. Uh, it, it's really hard to lead if you're not physically there um, or, 
even if you're not physically there, if you're not like mentally in it, because I, I wouldn't be physically here, but I had networked, like I could pop up on people's screens and I, not like weird, but you know, I we did virtual <laughs> reality meetings every morning, every afternoon, every evening. I always made myself available. Everyone knew if you texted me, you're getting a response back. You know, minus this one hour session, I'll probably have 50 emails and 20 text messages. You know, by and large, my leaders, subordinate leaders, they are empowered to make all the decisions as soon as they prove they can make it intelligent. And, and they are allowed to make mistakes as long as they don't do it twice. And besides that, you know, the empowerment, the lack of micromanagement you know, is a testament to your ability to, to create leaders and this misnomer that you want to be critical and needed. You know, I don't want to be needed. I want to add value when I'm present, but know that when I leave, everything is running smoothly and people can make critical decisions without me. Uh, that is, you know, I would say a successful leader and those toxic and caustic leaders, they, they're the ones where you have meetings and there's 50 people there just get like a data dump to that one person while everyone's just wasting their time. Yeah. When you start it. wasting people's time and you stop valuing your support this time, uh, it, you're not a, you're not a good leader. Who is a great leader, whether alive or dead and why? I think a braggadocious on a uh, former commander of mine. Uh, you won't know him, his name's Colonel Bill Golden. Uh, he was one of those individuals that uh, it, he's very charismatic, uh, but extremely intelligent. And he would empower you that, you know, I'd go there and I'd brief some very complex missions that I was planning to go execute. And in the nicest way, he would just pick my plan apart. And he would really challenge me to think critically. And you know, it was his experience and his uh, you know, mentorship that I think you know, made me want to be a better aviator, a better leader. Uh, you know, and eventually he left the military and he went off to do civilian work at Bank of America. And then we'd stay in touch. And I, I constantly reach out to him from kind of that leadership perspective role. Um, yeah, because he, he created a very cohesive uh, team in a special operations community that was charged to do incredible things. Yeah, he would command you know, people who are in South America, Afghanistan, Iraq. You know, while he's in a you know helicopter landing on the submarines in California. Uh, so he, he managed a very diverse group of individuals that were doing some of the most complex technical and tactical flying in the world all around the world beautiful how do you hire top talent my hr director is incredible uh she utilizes local um you know services for recruiting of like you know your your talent for manufacturing product even though say it's not top talent it's still an important resource yeah, so she'll use those uh, kind of local services when we have fluctuations, we need to really you know pivot and, and grow fast. Uh, if I've got time to plan out and you know hire a, a strategic hire, a C-level position, a director level position, you know, she'll usually post on the normal posting sites, uh, receive a bunch of applications. We'll post on our individual personal pages too. We'll get you know, networks of people to, to send in 
applications and then her and her team will go through and rack and stack the, the ones that they think are the best. They'll do phone interviews. They'll call them into initial interview. And then eventually, you know, if it's a top tier person, then I will go and sit with them uh, with the persons or person they're going to be interacting the most. And uh, it's, a, it's a process. If you are reliant on, you know, an outside organization to just bring you talent, I, I sometimes feel like they've misaligned goals. Mm. Um, so bringing the, the, the hiring and the firing internal was uh, a big move, smart move, I think. Nice. How do you evaluate a good business deal? The path to profitability. So it doesn't have to be profitable now. It doesn't have to be profitable in six months. But at some point, it's going to have to be profitable. Um, and it's not a deal. It's an initiative. It's at any spend. If you're going to go to that event, if you're going to go uh, you know, pitch to a fast pro, uh, that time and money, because I'm paying people for their time, and you know other expenses it's got to have a return so we can test things all the time but if we test i want to get into gaming and i want to get into selling products and you know it fails you'll let it fail fast but people put 110 percent into it not working it's not working it's not working pivot try pivot try pivot try at some point you have to say that venture didn't work what else can we spend our time with on? and don't get so caught up on it because it's something you like mm. like i sell some products that i personally don't like but my customers do and i sell you know most of the product i like uh, but you, you really do need to listen to your customers if, I, if it's a flavor for a new hydration that you know, i personally don't like but our best feedback and surveys and blind taste studies say most people do you know itself is not instrument you, you can't be the test uh you're often not the demographic um so those are uh some tips what is one of your proudest moments well uh i would say during a worldwide pandemic when our company like many others is on the verge of bankruptcy where there's hundreds of followers looking to a few leaders to say now what uh, we were able to come together and say, you know what, during this pandemic, what can I do? And it got to the point where we could have made tens of millions of dollars in profit, like gouge, not gouge. We could have just put normal margins on it. Mm. But I felt like I felt in the past for certain other things and curated this free that when I tell a story to my kids and grandkids, I want to tell them about how I made hundreds of millions hundreds of thousands and and you know uh of masks worth millions and millions of dollars and i profited zero dollars you know, I, I wanted to essentially invest and lose money not wanted to mm -hmm. uh, i felt no banks or potential investors that <laughs> um i felt it was our civic duty to help out our first responders our nurses and you know my mom's a nurse and my dad has got cancer just recently survived and, I was super upset that they didn't have any ending five masks available and couldn't get cloth face coverings. So we wanted to do that at cost. It ended up costing me money. There was no hesitation from my staff. There was only like doubling down. We've done that before. We raised money for organizations and 
that we could take a small margin or we just donate everything and make zero dollars. And I think that matters to me and my organization. Because at the end of the day, if I make you know X millions of dollars and I have a 20% margin, you know, if I donated a couple hundred grand to organizations in need, uh, that you can't take it with you. Um, you only need so much. I'm not a person who like, hey, I, I bought a boat, so I need a bigger boat, I need a bigger yacht, and the biggest yacht. You know, I'm part of a boat club. I rent boats. It flies floats and other things. You're supposed to rent. Uh, and you know, besides that, you know, it just gets into my opinion. Uh, dick measuring contests and wasting time and energy on status and uh, the things that really matter in life, family, doing right things, having a conscious, hoping that there's a greater thing outside this world uh, that you go on to the next journey. Um, you know, I think that matters. Definitely. What's one interesting fact about you that not many people would know? Mm, probably figure out from a logo, but uh, I really like helicopters. It's my favorite thing. And since I can't fly in the military anymore, I it, it's kind of a running joke here in the company that anytime I have an opportunity to bring a helicopter in and do something with it, I do. So I, most of our videos and contents, for no reason, uh, there'll be a helicopter there. And it's not just because it's tax write-off. We actually use it for content, IRS people. Uh, but, you know, it's... It's my favorite. And when I'm in a helicopter, my employees won't fly with me, main, mainly unless I have my children with me. Uh, <laughs> I like to go fast and low. Recently got in trouble from the FAA for flying uh, stuntmen behind the helicopter water skiing and then jumped them over my house this last summer. Um, so even though I did it legally, still yeah. got in trouble. Interesting. And drones aren't good enough, or or is it? It was sort of first person uh, drones now. It's sort of a, a side hustle, or is it just nah? It has to be a, a full blown, full blown. Yeah, there's no danger in drones. No. And you gotta <laughs> not, have some risk pilot. involved. <laughs> Love that. It's like a virtual roller coaster. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. You no, know? yeah, it's no. different. What daily routines do you have, whether it's morning or evening, that have helped you make uh, become more successful? <laughs> they're not healthy i don't want to share them uh daily routines i don't eat breakfast i don't eat lunch i drink a metric crap ton of coffee and i don't sleep much um those are daily routines <laughs> uh, i don't watch television for the most part and i unless it's like profit and shark tank or things like that and, and my hobbies are really i, I like business i talk about business um I like doing business. Uh, I still have hobbies. Like I like the wakeboard, snowboard, anything outdoors. Um, but yeah, my daily routines are wake up, take kids to school when I have them, and then go to office. Uh, my dogs are underneath my desk, so I'll take them outside to the bathroom every once in a while. Um, I, mm -hmm. I do many daily walks around the facility just to say hello and to make sure if someone sees me and they have a quick question, they just ask. Mm -hmm. So, you know, first time in the morning, I'll walk around the entire building. Around lunch, I'll walk around the entire building. At the end of the day, when everyone's leaving, I'll walk around the entire building. 
And when everyone else is gone, you know, upstairs is more 95, downstairs will stay up till 10. I'll usually stay here and then I'll start working on my work uh, around five or six. And then do that until I realize I didn't eat yesterday. And then I'll go eat. So I think yesterday I had uh, nachos at like nine o'clock at night at my favorite bar across from my apartment. Fair enough. It obviously not works. Healthy. It's it's not it's not advice that I've heard on the on the show before, but you know we we thrive on that here the 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 outside of the box um, advice and and so yeah I'm not going to knock it I might try it you know I I can think of worse things than nachos at nine p.m. So um, it's we'll, time we'll it You have an opportunity to go to the bathroom and send out some emails. Yeah. Do it. Don't just stare at the wall. Yeah, I'm a multitasker. If I'm driving somewhere, uh, you know with an employee as a passenger, you know, BSing, I'm wrong. Like, hey, do you mind driving? I'm going to be on my computer. Yeah. And I'm going to be doing work. And if I'm on a vacation with my kids and they're sleeping, you know, I'm going to be on my computer answering emails. But you, the, the habits are don't get obsessed with, like, don't get a phone watch and don't, you know, be on your phone all the time. Find a habit of only checking it at a specific time for a specific period of time or else your life is gone. You know, I only check my emails. I really try to check my emails twice a day. Nice. Uh, I've got 50,000 unread emails because I'll skim through them mm. and I'll see the ones that matter. I'll see the ones that are just, Correct. my executive assistant will go through and respond to them, but the ones that only I can. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it's time management. If you're spending your time doing laundry, cooking food, cleaning, I'm not saying I didn't always do that, but in the army, I didn't have to. I didn't have to cook my food. I didn't have to clean. I didn't have to do laundry. When I was married, I didn't really have to do that. I'm not saying that's the right answer. It's just the way our dynamic worked. And uh, you know, as a single guy now, I mean, I live in hotels a lot. Uh, I have people come and clean and do laundry because I don't have freaking time. Yeah. And that's the one thing when you're when you're measuring stuff. If I'm paying someone twenty bucks an hour to do this. Right, and I'm to, a really, yeah. really good, you know, tech person who can figure out complex stuff where I know that I, when I spend money on full stack developers or accountants or lawyers, mm. it's costing me 500 to $1,000 an hour for really, really good ones. Mm. Um, I'd rather just do that myself because a lot of times it's also me just having to communicate with someone else to do the things that I can only do. Yeah. So if there's things that only you can do and you do it really well and you're still trying to get other people to do them, uh, and why are you doing laundry and why are you doing dishes? And I'm trying to be a prima donna because if I have nothing else going on and I'm bored, I go down and print t-shirts and I ship packages. Mm. But something that I pay, you know, we don't pay minimum wages. I think we start like 12 bucks an hour. Mm. Um, but it's no, I, it's, I, I'm totally with you. Um, you know, if, if, if you don't enjoy it and you can pay someone less than your own hourly rate to do it, then it is a uh, it is a uh, you have an ROI on that if you if oh, you yeah. if you're paying someone else to do it I mean things like exactly what you say like I will always have a cleaner because I hate cleaning but I like my house clean but I will always walk my own dog because I like it and there's the bonus of the exercise and I can yeah. take calls and so on um, walking the dog so it's it's, yeah, yeah. Those, so, those are things you enjoy doing I love hanging out with my kids my kids make a massive mess yeah and my girlfriend you know I'm not single my girlfriend would be like hey. You know, why don't we just clean them? Like, because the cleaner's coming tomorrow, and I like to spend all my time with my kids since I don't see them that much. Yeah. And so I don't want to spend time cooking and cleaning. I'm going to go to a restaurant. I want to come home. I want to watch a movie with them. 
I want to look at this mess around my house and be like, I'm so glad someone else is going to do this tomorrow. And then come, you know, the next day and it's all clean. Uh, and, and happily pay 20 plus bucks an hour for so and they'll they're happy to do it they yeah. want a job yeah so it's 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 not a pre-madonna and I, I sort of realized that from my business mentors i'm like hey why are you flying a private jet right because that's that's one of my things i love flying mm. but i don't like wasting money so if i see i can you know buy a coach ticket here buy a coach ticket if yeah. that happened to upgraded to first class cool it's right. awesome Way more convenient for me and my dogs. My dog serves dogs. Those are big. Uh, but it, my friends who have private planes, that's awesome. They're way more successful. That's cool. But then, like, hey, you're going to go fly your private plane at $20,000 an hour to fly one hour. Yeah. Like, I'll just drive my bulk yeah. and meet you there in two hours. So three hours, whatever. Uh, it, it, it's that time management. But at some point, maybe I'll be like them where my time is worth ten thousand dollars an hour my rate is nowhere near that in my personal in my head yeah uh, so i can't justify it and when i calculate numbers i'm like i can fly first class me and all my staff uh for half the amount of flying private and that's where as a pilot even with me flying it it makes no sense and you can cash in all your air miles um the same not all, all of them a percentage of your air miles as well doing it and upgrading on commercial airlines and you can all fly first class with your with your air miles and and you know you millions can, of miles, yeah. exactly um but i don't think you, i don't think you can spend them on private um aviation yet if there's someone in the audience that knows of a way to like cash in your amex points for for private let me know because that, that would be, jet, be the, the bigger airlines have jet tokens um and they do have programs for that and you buy free books and there's things yeah. It's just, again, when your time is worth that much and, and, and or you just have that much discretionary, mm. it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I would prefer to, I would feel bad doing that than just giving my best employees a $10,000 bonus. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's a good point. What book or books changed your mindset or life? We'll just go with favorite book. It's easy, simple read. Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, because it's all about relationships. My father uh, told me at a very young age, and I, I uh, wholeheartedly agree. It's not what you know, it's who you know and what you do with it. Because it'll give you an opportunity and foot in the door. And it does a lot of time where I get to meet interesting people like Marcus Demonis today. Uh, you know, made sure I'm at the right place to have an introduction, to be introduced, to land business, right? and then explain my value, give me an opportunity, and, and now it's on me to either prove it or disprove it. But you know, how to win friends and influence people is a breakdown of somewhat how to do that, and, and also just what not, just don't be an asshole. Yeah. And if you really wanna you know, understand the, the bottom line from an employer standpoint, you might be the best sales rep since sliced bread. But if you're an asshole to everyone and no one wants coming to work, and you're a detriment to the organization, you're gone. Uh, so read that book and then think back about when you were an asshole and don't do it again. Because uh, I've done it and I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. I love um, that. I love. I love that. And and yeah, that book is is it's you know it's a lot of it is like oh yeah that well that makes sense you know people like to hear their name call them by their name but then but then there's other things you're like yeah actually that that's something that makes perfect sense and I'm not doing that. There's a lot of the you know there's a lot of things in there and you're like. Yeah, I could probably do better than that. Thanks for the reminder. Um, you know, I'm going to well, uh, go and improve. And I, th I think listening. it's a great book for that. Yeah. yeah, there's other books out there for like leaders, but it goes into active listening. It goes into authentic, you know, concern and care. 
and, and other like, you know, the do's and don'ts. Um, and really just be a good person and don't be a dick. Really summary. Uh, and, and then, you know, the one that pisses me off more than anything is the, the eight hour work week. So I think that we're um, in a time where people feel entitled. They, they feel that um, not everyone, but uh, they see success, the end state, they want it, but they don't want to do the work. Mm. And so they look at these shortcuts and they look at what other people, the very select few that have they been able to figure out how to do very little work, but make a fuck ton of money. Yeah. And then they're like, Hey, well, I want to work only eight hours a week and make a million dollars a week. Yeah. That's not a thing. And when your focus is in, you know, how can I work less and make more? I think there's a big divide and you end up, you know, having um, uh, a tough time dealing with reality because it's, you know, not everyone can have a network like, you know, supplements on order and automating email, like, you know, methodologies that I, I honestly don't think work today. Mm-hmm. You know, some good practices like only checking your email twice a day, not being consumed with distractions and, yeah. you know, allocating time. But uh, the idea that you can take your eight hour work day, turn it into a week, you know, I call half days, 12 hour days. <laughs> and I'm happy with those. Like yeah. overseas, it was 18 hour days. Uh, eight hour days is like bare minimum. And that's, you know, you're an hourly employee, you're working eight hours less, cool. your salary and you're working eight hours or less, probably going to turn it hourly at some point. Um, I'm expecting people to have their brain on at home thinking about how to do better, uh, how to do more efficiently. Exactly. If if you take away from that efficiencies and 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 how you can get extract more output from from the same or less input, then that's great. If you're taking away from that um, that you can from scratch have a very very successful uh, business and have all of the the whatever it is you're trying to achieve from just four hours work without any of the, the the history that's a very difficult thing and i think um a lot of the time people <laughs> you know they, they they talk about an overnight oh it's an overnight success it just had 20 years of prep and um you know planning that went in before that overnight success right and 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 you know there isn't there isn't a a big money button uh for for the majority of people so I, yeah absolutely take your points um there what advice would you give your younger self um again having it having an end state in mind before you start a venture and it's a personal end state you know if it's within 10 years i want my house paid off my car paid off college funds set aside and be able to vacation during the summer and, you know, have X dollars in a bank account that is in a retirement account, um, you know, and have my, you know, my annual pay cover pretty much everything else. If that's your end state, when you get there, you know, refocus on that, the family life and building that. Uh, and, and then don't just set another goal or don't have a, a never ending goal. Because uh, goal setting is important. And if it's realistic and it's time constrained and it's measurable and like all these other smart features, right? Um, and it's something that you communicate effectively with your partner. Uh, I, I think holistically your life is better. But 
for me, I identify as I'm a father before anything else. Uh, and then, you know, before I'd say my identity is like, I was a pilot, right? And then, you know, transition to I'm an entrepreneur. Um, you know, and, and if you have your goals nested with you know, what matters the most, if money matters the most, then that's what matters to you. And you just have to kind of know that about yourself. Like I, I'm materialistic. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I have a lot of materialistic friends. They like Ferraris. They like jets. They like Cristal. They like fancy suits, right? Um, if that's your goal, is I want to be able to have Ferraris, Maseratis, jets, yachts, and you know, uh, ex-wives and girlfriends, and this like those are very expensive things. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I think it's and it's just about being true to that you know being true to yourself if 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 the thing that gets you up in the morning is is going after that ferrari then then you know embrace that and go after you know be be true to what it is that, that you're going after all um the only thing that i as i said already implore any entrepreneur to do is to think about um a positive impact and how you can be um you know a successful but enlightened entrepreneur and actually do something good in the world with with that um what unusual or underrated food or drink, this is going to be an interesting question, should more people try out? So I'm a guy who's like a child. I eat cheeseburger, chicken nugget, and I get made fun of. So we go to really nice steak joints and I get cheeseburger. Uh, it's a tried and tested food. I'm simple. I've changed it from fries to salad to be more healthy. Uh, so I don't, I'm not a big food venture. I don't eat seafood. I'm a very basic in that respect i eat very fast like i'm just escaped prison <laughs> uh, and so it's um probably not the best person to ask that question uh and in terms of like the drink uh poise a little bit biased but <laughs> I, uh, I i do like to work out whenever i can um and i do like to go out with friends and colleagues and drink uh, alcoholic beverages from time to time. The next morning, I sometimes feel dehydrated. And so, you know, hoist is something, one of those products that I've uh, been going around giving people like, here, try it. Tell me if I'm crazy. Like, I used to give myself IVs because uh, I could. And, you know, that, that made me feel better after a long night of hanging out with friends. Um, <laughs> but now I, I drink this and a lot of my Navy SEAL friends and Ranger friends and, you know, uh, Usually athletes and alcoholics, I won't say that exactly, but mm. you know, it's a great product. So I always recommend it. And we got it to like my dad for you know, cancer recovery. Uh, so I, I, I try to recommend something that tastes good and is healthy. Mm. Nice. Well, I, I look forward to the uh, the um, the care package you, you send over so I can uh, bring it into the UK for you. But we're, we're down to the, the last question, in many ways the most important question, Tyler. What makes you happiest mm, this last weekend i was at universal studios with my children uh i hate sweating my butt off in hour-long lines uh i ate been ten dollars for a hot dog and five dollars for the water but i love watching their face there's it's like magic and they're so excited and like the questions that come out of their mouth does it is like a, a peek into their brain and it's so innocent and and sweet. And so like that's something where I not didn't necessarily have the sweetest, nicest upbringing. So you always want better for your kids. And so I, I I'd say I have the best father in the world to learn from in terms of like uh, 
know, uh, caring. Uh, actually, take your shirt off and give it to me if I asked it to. Yeah. Maybe not financially secure, uh, but you know, emotionally there. And you know, I, I I like seeing that carefree nature in my kids. They they don't um, you know have to deal with a lot of the stressors that I did. And and I like keeping them in that somewhat sheltered environment. You know, they, they grew up at West Point. You know, hmm. uh, it's a very secure military installation. They don't lock their doors. They walk to school. You know, now they live in a very nice neighborhood. Go to a nice school. Um, you know, I, I, I was getting into major altercations in high school. I've been stabbed. I've you know been shot at. I've gotten arrested a bunch of times. Been expelled from schools. I was not your model uh, teenager. I had a lot of fun, uh, but you know, I, I did a lot of what you guess you'd say hood rat stuff um, you know, because I, I didn't have the same opportunities. That, uh, so it, it, the thing that makes me the happiest is seeing them have a childhood that I, I really wish I had and being able to provide it to them, that, that means a lot. Amazing. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us uh, today. At this point, I'd just like to ask, do you have any asks or requests of the audience listening today? No, I always do the plug. If you're interested in uh, learning more about Nine Line Apparel, uh, go to our website. If you want to learn about our foundation, go to ninelinefoundation.org. Brilliant. Well, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us uh, today. I've really enjoyed um, some of your out-of-the-box um, strategies, your um, focus on attribution, on uh, the bottom line, the budgets, the, the, the your hiring methods and your, your outlook on life and your unique outlook on uh, food uh, and drink as well, dude. I've had a great time. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Hey there, you incredibly good-looking human. Thanks so much for listening. If you had a good time today and would like more good times in the future, please hit that subscribe button and leave a heartwarming review. I read them all and it will go a long way to help others out there benefit from all the teachings of this show. And if you want to get in touch or otherwise learn more about me, head to martincook.co.uk or smarterdestiny.com. I really appreciate you. You're an incredible human. Until next time, keep crushing.